Welcome to the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I'm Christina Simmons, your host, and thanks for joining me today as I seek to inspire, encourage, and accompany you on the journey towards holiness by sharing food for the head, heart, hands, and feet, all so we may grow closer to God, become more like Jesus, and through friendship, discover the life God created us for, lives of purpose, peace, and abundance, rooted in the hope that with God's grace and mercy, we can become the living, breathing, wonder-working saints that the world so desperately needs today. Hey everyone, Christina Simmons here, and welcome to episode 93, my conversation that I had with Deacon Charlie Echeverry. And the conversation we had was entitled Liturgical Orphans, and it's based on his talk that he gave for the our Sunday Visitor Innovations uh, talks. But we got into all sorts of conversation, not just about his background, but especially about the nature of the face of the church, especially here in the United States, changing. And, you know, the one thing that really uh, just really hammered me was this quote, which was, every day there are more U.S. Latinos in the church, and every day there are less Catholics among U.S. Latinos. So our conversation was about the tremendous opportunity as well as the tremendous risk that we have in evangelizing, in encountering and engaging with this current generation, uh, especially of young people who are coming of age and also the majority of whom are Latino. So this is a conversation that is applicable regardless of your ethnicity. It's a conversation that really goes deep into how did we get here and what are some things that we might be able to do in order to bring about some change and really sow the seeds of hope in our church today. Enjoy and see it on the flip side. whole file so you know you don't need to you can cut and splice wherever you choose but but yeah now we're now I'm now the the machine that this machine is now recording this locally is basically the difference awesome mm -hmm. okay well Deacon Charlie, uh, I'm so glad to be here with you today. Uh, it is such a, a pleasure and a joy. Um, it, I really loved uh, your uh, our Sunday Visitor uh, Innovation Talk, Liturgical Orphans. And um, just to kind of start, you know, start us off, uh, where are you uh, and, uh, and and what is it that, that you're sure, about right now? Sure, absolutely. Well, thanks, Christina, for inviting me on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, where I am, well, if your listeners could see, it'd be like this dark cavern somewhere, but I'm actually in uh, my uh, little office studio. Uh, we have a podcast studio here. I'm based in Los Angeles, California, technically, because LA is a big sprawling county, about 100 miles from east to west, from the ocean all the way out into you know the desert. So, But I'm on the west side of LA, so not too far from the airport here from LAX. And I've been here since 2000, so uh, 20 plus years at this point. Wow. 
Time flies when you're having Absolutely. fun. I know that much. Well, I was, um, I was so. born here um, and, uh, you know, so always had this sense of California in my blood, but I actually didn't grow up here. So I came back uh, uh, as an adult, as actually almost at my, when I, t- I was 28 or 29, when we came back. So most of my life was actually not in California, but now I've been here for a good, sp- a good bit of time. Well, you have a fascinating story of where it all was that you have grown up. And I think that really uh, has uh, informed your practice of the faith and, and your perspective of, of the faith and, and what it is, especially in your ministry right now. But would you share a little bit of kind of, you know, some of those mm-hmm. high high moments those you know uh, that you had as you were kind of all over? Yeah. The place? Um, and, I, and I do think, you know, there is the, the way that I see it, uh, a transformation and growth on a spiritual level usually happens one of two ways, either exploring or in some cases being confronted or discovering, let's say, uh, perspectives and ideas uh, that you now need to grapple with, right? So the kind of growth that happens when we're introduced to a concept and it either affirms us in what we believe or it lets us, it gives us an opportunity to grapple with that thing so that we can better formulate what we believe. That's one way that we're transformed. The other way in my experience is being physically taken to a different environment and experiencing different things, um, you know, tangibly, right? So think about like, um, you know, like an immersion approach to learning a new language, right? You just get dropped and you're going to live here for six weeks and you're going to learn Dutch or whatever the language is. Um, and so I, I look at those things, um, especially the, the latter one, as a, as a big reason, I think, that, you know, that, that God has allowed me uh, to be able to, to learn and transform through that because I did grow up in a number of different places. I was born here in L.A. Um, when we were very young. My my father, who ran a, a division uh, for a, a financial institution for a big bank, he was transferred uh, to different countries throughout Latin America and the Caribbean because of his job. So we obviously went with him. We moved from um, Los Angeles to Mexico City. Uh, obviously, very, very Catholic um, uh, country and very Catholic city. Um, Our Lady of Guadalupe's Basilica, all these incredible, you know, sights and sounds. I was there for a number of years. Then we went to uh, live in Buenos Aires in Argentina, where our Holy Father is from. Uh, spent some time there. Uh, then went to Venezuela, to uh, Caracas, the capital city there. And then eventually went to live in the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, St. Thomas specifically, named like all the islands named after one of the apostles. Um, and then after that, I uh, ended up going to high school and college in Florida. And then after my graduation from college, kind of came all the way full circle back to uh, to California. And I've been here for the last 20, 20 plus years. Uh, it sounds like our, our paths went across at some point. Where in Florida did you go to school? I went to school in uh, Boca Raton at Florida Atlantic University. Yes. Yep. Uh, so uh, I graduated South Plantation High oh, School. Wow. Uh, so I lived in South Florida for, and uh, I had uh, a good uh, journalism uh, teacher uh, who she actually taught at FIU, oh, wow. Florida okay. International, for uh, for many years. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very small world. Uh, I, I continue to find that, especially within Catholic circles. And actually, uh, you know, that's something of where um, I think it's really important to, you know, coming back to mm-hmm. your talk is that, you know, the experience that you spoke of and so many, uh, especially young people are experiencing right now, um, I think you really encapsulated it. And, uh, you know, with your with your uh, slide, which was every day there are more U.S. Latinos in the church and every day there are less Catholics among U.S. Latinos. It's kind of a conundrum right and, now. 
Yeah, that that paradox. Mm -hmm. But the faith is a sure. paradox, is it? It not? is absolutely. <laughs> and just ju just going back two seconds on your South Plantation thing. I don't think I've ever in my adult life ran into somebody who went to South Plantation. So congratulations for that. That rare distinction. I was a Western <laughs> High School Wildcat, so we, you know, obviously played you guys uh, in um, in uh, football and all kinds of other sports. And um, and yeah, so I'm sure we have a lot of folks in our background that that we have uh, in common. And it and it kind of relates in a way to your question because when I was in South Florida, when I was going to school there, I was one of a few, you know, Latino kids in my high school. And if you go back today, it's a hundred percent. Latino, you know, at least in, or, or, or very close, you know, very close, um, to a hundred percent. And so there's been pretty dramatic changes even in my, in, in my lifetime that have led to some of these, these things. The, the kind of insight that you just talked about is something that when I first heard it really surprised me because, you know, I didn't get very far in math. You know, I, uh, I joked that I took, uh, in college, my math elective was physics for poets. So, um, but when I hear like statistics, Right. When I hear statistical data, I'm always going like, wait a minute, how does that make any sense? And so the idea that every day in the church, in the Catholic church, there are more Latinos, but every day among Latinos, there's less Catholics is basically what it says. I struggle with understanding how that could be true. And the answer is just simply that there's so much growth among the community period. The, 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 you know, the tide is rising across the board so much that both of those statistics can be true at the same time. But what it, but when you map it out, when you map that trend line out into the future, what it shows you is that the church in the U.S. ultimately becomes smaller and becomes more uh, demographically monolithic and specifically Latino. So neither of those outcomes, neither smaller nor um, ethnically or demographically monolithic should we want. And that's kind of where we're going. Yeah. Well, I, I loved how you looked at that paradox, though, and you did something that I do very frequently, which is there's tremendous you know, risk here, but there's tremendous opportunity. That's right. And I think so often we focus upon, uh, you know, on all the negatives and the fact that there are less Catholics among U.S. Latinos. Oh, my gosh, we're losing, you know, six for, you know, or I, I forget the statistic, mm -hmm. you know, we're losing six for every one we bring in, you know, that kind of thing, regardless of ethnicity. And um, and it's something where it's like, no, we have a tremendous opportunity because where we are right now in this time and place, you know, is unique. We were created for this time and place. So um, our particular skills and gifts are needed for this time, but we need to know what this time is calling for. And and that, that was why I, I truly enjoyed what you were talking about, you know, in giving your uh, analogy about the altar server. Could you could you share sure. that, you know, for our yeah. listeners real briefly? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I've been my my professional background has been in media here in Los Angeles for well, since I've been here, so 20 plus years. So I've been in and out of Hollywood and big media settings, um, content companies, studios, That's and, and a lot of emphasis on technology in the last 10 years or so, um, digital media, social media, that kind of world. That's been the backdrop of, you know, kind of where I've been. And within that, I've um, been particularly focused in the area of how younger demographics that happen to be more diverse in the U.S. are driving a lot of these changes. But I never really paid attention to it within the context of the church until an uh, exchange that I had with a young altar server uh, in the sacristy of our parish. And this was, um, you know, actually, I can't recall whether or not it was before I was ordained. I was ordained uh, in 2017. So my guess is it was before I was ordained. But anyway, sometime in the last five to six years, right, it, this conversation happened. And 
this particular young man um, in our parish, 100 percent of the altar servers are Latino. That's just the way it is. But in the sacristy, because these are young people um, and even outside the sacristy, but in the sacristy, we all speak English because that's the language that they speak with their friends. Even though they may know Spanish, they speak English and that's their language. They go to school in, and they text their friends and they go on Snapchat and do all these things in English. Right. But obviously they understand Spanish um, in most cases. But anyway, I was having this conversation with this altar server and I said to him, look, you know, I, I serve as a bilingual deacon in both of the masses uh, that we have in my parish in terms of language. We have masses in English, we have masses in Spanish, and I serve at both wherever I can. And in this case, these young servers tend to come to uh, the Spanish language mass because that's where their families are. And in fact, in that mm -hmm. Spanish liturgy, you'll find, generally speaking, most of the young people in the Spanish liturgy. And so I asked this young uh, altar server, I said, well, you know, why don't you come to the nine o'clock mass, which I had just finished serving at? And I said, frankly, you know, we could use some more people, period, and then specifically some more youth in that in that particular liturgy. And that's when he hit me with the thing that kind of set off a lot of these things in motion, because he told me, he's like, Deacon, I, I would never go to that mass. And I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you never go to that mass? He's like, yeah, that mass is is so white. It's like it's not or it's I forget exactly how he put it, but he basically said he wasn't really talking about race. He was just saying, it's not me. It's not my culture. It doesn't reflect me. Mm -hmm. And so at that moment is where, you know, I had a little bit of maybe infused knowledge from the Holy Spirit. And I just saw this young man. You know, he was 15 at the time. I saw him turning 18, 19, 20, whatever it is, going off on his own and just asking myself, well, where is this guy going to worship? Because he barely speaks Spanish. He's here because his family is. And maybe there's some of the trappings of his culture that make him feel comfortable here, but he's not being fed. He's not even understanding the homily. He may not grapple yeah. with any. So I just said, if he gets to make the decision on his own, where is he more likely to show up? Is he going to come to the Spanish liturgy where he doesn't really get it? It's not in his culture. He doesn't understand or it is in his culture, but he doesn't understand it. Or will he go to the English one where he can understand every word, but none of it reflects his culture? And the answer is neither, really, sadly, by the data. It kind of shows you that they're just leaving altogether, but it's because they're kind of stuck in this little middle ground between these two realities. And so it was a, it was kind of a aha moment for me. Yeah, um, I kind of had uh, similar moments um, in my own ministry uh, in our parish here um, in, in our small town. And it's things like, you know, something as simple as because we've got first generation, you know, kids who have they've just learned English and their parents do not. And there's the reality of there's many times when they're not a actually able to communicate fully, let alone really enter into a discussion about the faith. That's right. You know, and, and, and it's something of where um, just just that thought. And I'm just like. Oh my gosh, you know, such, such isolation. Um, and, and it just broke my heart. But, since, um, can, can you think well, of, I was going to say, ahead. Christina, just one thing on that point. Since then, you know, I've, we've learned a lot more. Um, I've studied a lot more about this issue and we've even commissioned a lot of studies and just learned a lot more. And it's amazing the kind of insights that you find. Your experience you just relayed is, is one of those, right? This idea of not being able to, mm -hmm. even though you're living within the same household, you have some facility in languages, but being sort of unable to fully express yourself, maybe even to your own parents. The other thing that we found out was, um, you know, the idea that why a lot of people go to continue to go to the Spanish liturgy, even when they don't speak Spanish or when they speak very little Spanish, is because they don't know the prayers in English. Like it was, it was crazy right. to me. I thought, well, wait a minute. That's one of the yeah. reasons you're not going because, and I would talk to these folks. It's like, yeah, when it's time for the Our Father, I just know Padre Nuestro que estás en el cielo. They, yeah. they just don't mm -hmm. know it. And, and I, and I thought to myself, I was like, well, actually, I get that. Like you want to fully participate as the Second Vatican Council says, you want to be really involved. 
And so they go to the Spanish liturgy where they know all the prayers, they know the hymns, but again, homily, preaching, the understanding of the yeah. faith, all of those things, a lot less so. And, and it's just, it's a really interesting kind of conundrum. It is. And uh, we, we can so identify with that. Uh, we do, we've done uh, family catechesis. And so, you know, it, invariably what we've done is that we've learned, you know, cause we'll kind of like go around and each, each you know, we'll do a, uh, a decorative the rosary kind yeah. of thing of where, yeah. so everyone's able to do a Hail Mary. And, you know, initially it was kind of like, there was this pause and it's like, whichever language you're comfortable in. And we just started talking about, it's the language of your heart, whatever the language is in your That's heart beautiful. that you want to express, go yeah. for it. Um, and, and, and then we saw almost invariably, Spanish, 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 even though the kids are sitting there and they're speaking it's, English. <laughs> and it's crazy the kind of, you know, the simple hacks that you can come up with, which I applaud you on just that, because a lot of people feel a lot of people may, maybe wouldn't take that that step, even though it seems like a pretty simple one. I talked to my, uh, my buddy Armando Cervantes, who's um, the director of youth mm. ministry and, and uh, Hispanic ministry for the Diocese of Orange. I've had him on my show. And he, the example that always blew me away, and it's so simple. He, he, he said, listen, when I do these youth ministry things, we pray and, or we do the, the, the prayers and we do the, the songs in Spanish, but the entire conference, the entire retreat, the entire workshop, everything's in English, but we do these things. And I was, when I first heard that, I said, man, that is so simple. It's so simple. Like, why can't we do more of these things? But the typical modality is, you know, we've got the book or the missile. I'm sorry, not the missile, the 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 bulletin or whatever the thing is. And we want to just translate it and then kind of have these sort of two churches that, that exist. And 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 uh, and I think we have to look for solutions that that really try to integrate people. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and I loved uh, what you had said about the fact that translation is the lowest common accommodation. And I was just like. Wow. That, I mean, that just hit me because I'm just going, yeah, no, absolutely spot on. And, you know, we have to share the good news in a culturally relevant Correct. way. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's a matter of, you know, my continuing to immerse myself, you know, and being culturated um, so that I'm able to speak and to uh, be able to, you know, but that kind of brings us back to some of the solutions that you had suggested. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which are, uh, you know, shifting your watering holes, voice over language inside like the outside and a creative apologetics. And want to kind of go back to, you know, because uh, what we're talking really is kind of voice over language Correct. right now. But could you go into that a little bit more in explanation and then just give a practical example? With that? Absolutely. So the idea of voice over language is just an insight. And my hope with all of these is that. People hear them and then try to apply them in their own kind of time and, and place, right? Because this is every one of these things can take a slightly different shape depending on where you find yourself in the vineyard. But ultimately, for me, the idea of voiceover language speaks to the point that you just brought up, right? Which is translating something can be very oftentimes, especially if it's done just for the sake of translating it to sort of solve the dilemma of how do we talk to all these Latinos, it can be the lowest level of accommodation and the lowest effective one at that point, right? So I, I won't name names, but I've had a conversation with people that are pretty high up in the publishing world. And I've, I've heard stories like, hey, you know, we, we translated it and it didn't, it didn't sell. And so Latinos must not like to read. And then you find out, well, what was it? And it was like a theological treatise by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm, and you know, my first question is, well, 
what led you to believe that, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Guatemalan second generation Americans are interested in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, especially maybe they are. But I'm saying, what is the decision making that goes into some of these 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 calls? And then on top of that, talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater on the basis of one thing. You're like, are you we're just done with it. Right. So 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 I think that the idea of translation and the idea of language is very important. Okay, And, and I always get myself in trouble with this because people think I'm saying Spanish isn't important. Look, I love all languages. And as I mentioned, I grew up all, all over the place and I appreciate multiple cultures and I love it. And if you're a polyglot, like I'm amazed if you speak a bunch of languages, amazing. But my point is that capabilities are not preferences. And that's the key point. The fact that I can speak Spanish or I can speak French or I can speak Dutch or whatever the language is does not mean that that is the language that you should be evangelized to, that you should be accompanied with. You can, you know, make it your own, right? You get the picture. And so the idea of it, especially in an American context as it relates to Hispanics, is it's more important to get the voice right than it is the language. And in my talk, um, I mentioned some of these voices when I look at it and go like, oh, that's it. The first one it was actually my kickoff show for my podcast, uh, Living the Call, was Father Agustino Torres. Father Agustino Torres is is literally awesome. he's awesome. He's awesome in every respect. Like he's, you know, four quadrant awesome, right? There's no there's no unawesome <laughs> part about him. My point about bringing him up is that he is emblematic also of the idea of voiceover language because everything that man says is in a Latino voice. I don't care what language mm. it is and most of the time it's in English. So but nevertheless it's 100% mm -hmm. Latino. So that's the idea and what what makes it 100% Latino? The fact that he's immersed in the culture, understands it, has lived it, is in and out of it, right? Even if he's talking English, he he has that, that uh, he's steeped in it. And so because of that, he's a very effective preacher, communicator, and, and, and priest of God, ultimately. And that's what we should want, right, for, for, for everyone, for, for certainly for all our clergy. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's what I mean by voice over language. It's the idea of what takes primacy in this time and place, which is America in the 21st century, which is the context that I'm making these points in. In this time and, and, and place, it's about voice over language. That doesn't mean more important than or don't or stop translating. What it means is pay attention to what it is you're trying to achieve and, and look at, um, at, at that voice and that relatability and that authenticity and, and lean in more on that rather than just, yeah, we translated the bulletin. So we're done. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And it, it's something that. Um, in, in the continuous, you know, uh, struggle to try and be able to communicate, we forget the fact that, you know, um, it, it, and you brought up, uh, you know, about the fact that voice is more important. And I just had the realization of where it's like, now I understand why when I'm speaking in my, what I consider very broken Spanish, the fact that I'm attempting to speak and to communicate is appreciated, you know, far greater than if I pulled out Google Translate and had the exact bingo. Words. That's a great example yeah. of what I'm talking and, about. You know, and and it's something of where, but you know, have to get past my own pride and uncomfortability, you know, to keep doing that. And uh, but it, it's something where I think it also attaches to you know another solution that that you had uh, suggested about the inside being like the mm -hmm. outside. It's that authenticity. Um, and it brings back to your author server, you know, encounter of where, 
he definitely wouldn't see the inside looking like you know yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah and, and and inside like the outside i mean it it it's it's pretty you know straightforward in terms of what it means um the the part that maybe bears some a double click and kind of some slight clarification is this isn't about a racial thing okay we are catholics mm-hmm. right we're children of god God gave us a variety of different cultures and colors, and we're all equal in dignity, but we have our differences, and that's part of God's plan, right? So this isn't about a color. I think the the oftentimes misunderstood concept of diversity and, mul- and multiculturalism, we see some of the evidence throughout the world today, is one that, in a way, ironically, kind of excludes people, and that's the opposite of what we should want. But having said that, what inside by the like the outside means is – be, is have what you're doing, your apostolate, your ministry, your parish, your all of the parts, the organs of the church that are out there in the vineyard, have those things be reflective of the sheep, right? Pope Francis told us that famously told his bishops, right? Smell like the sheep, right? That's what I mean by this. So in other words, if we are, I'm making it up, but we're in a parish wherever. I mean, it could be here in Boyle Heights in Los Angeles where it's a hundred percent Latino and we have a ministry that is somehow not representative of that community that's there in our backyard, either by way of the participants or by way of the needs that we're trying to solve, then we're really leaving opportunity on the table. We're not really smelling like our sheep. Now we may be smelling like sheep, but they just might not be in our, you know, in our fold. And so we're, that's the idea that I mean is, is we got to look around, um, you know, where we are in this particular time and place and have our ministries, apostolates, our work, our service to the church be reflective of the sheep that God has decided to put in our, in, in our, you know, in our fold. And, you know, the, the, the macro stat that maybe brings this to life for a lot of people. And I'm, every time I mention these statistics, people a lot of times are still very surprised by them. And, you know, when you look at the fact that in the U.S. right now, among all Catholics, all Catholics around 42%, of all Catholics are Hispanic. When you look at all Catholics that are under 18, more than 62 or 3% of them are Latino. When you, when you look at these stats and you're like, well, that is the sheep, then why would, like, I want to know a principled reason why our ministries and our work and our service and our, and our outreach should not reflect those cultures and those experiences. Like, it's very hard for me to understand why it wouldn't. So that's why, um, that's what I mean by inside like the outside. It's just being attentive and attuned to the sheep that we have in the fold that God has given us right now in our time and place. Yeah. And and that uh, really ties into uh, shifting where your, your water holes yeah, are, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Yeah, that's the other one, which is about, you know, and this comes up quite a bit in uh, maybe for larger. And again, the the listeners of this podcast may, may have a variety of roles that they play in the vineyard. So I'm not really sure. But if you work in, you know, an apostolate or if or if maybe you have a ministry of your own or, or, or what have you, a lot of the interactions I've had with people oftentimes say, well, I'm looking for these folks to be more inside like the outside. I just can't find them. And inevitably, you know, I'll ask the follow-up question, which is, where are you looking? And usually, and this isn't always, but usually it's, well, the same places I've done for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And the reality of it is, like, just think of it as a university, in a university setting, right? If I'm going to the same school to source and recruit my next talent, intern, employee, whatever it is, from a secular standpoint, if I'm going to that same school or that same neighborhood or that same geography, And then I'm saying, well, I really want to do something different, but I'm still going to that same place. Well, you're probably going to get more of the same, right? So changing your watering (laughs) hole 
is just about looking elsewhere. And does it take more effort? Yes. Does it take a little bit more time? Absolutely. You have to want to do this. But it does yield different results. And and I think that that's a good thing. And even if in the process you learn some things and and you say, hey, this is the reason why this watering hole doesn't work. Well, that's great. But at least you went and you looked and you tried. So that's what I mean by that. Yeah. And and that ties all together with the, that creative apologetics of where we're we're looking at you know, who is it that uh, our sheep are and where are they understanding, you know, where they are on the journey and meeting them where they are rather than where we think they should be. Um, you know, and, uh, so, um, but, uh, for, for you, what, what have you seen or experienced? It's kind of like uh, an example of this creative apologetics. I think you just nailed it right with what you just described, Christina, because the reality of it is, is you look at those sheep and you go, okay, well, where are they? You know, and then you ask the next question, which is what do they need? And so if we're looking mm-hmm. in particular, let's look at the, the younger generation, right? So if we look at this younger generation, mm-hmm. we find overwhel- the, the, the majority of them by the stats I just mentioned come from this particular culture, cultures, but they're generally, you know, more similar than they are different. And so you've got this kind of cultural component. What's really, what's, what's, what's bugging them? What's their kind of key issue? And one of the things that I've hit on, and I know it's only one of many, but is this sense of orphancy, this sense of not belonging in either world. I'm 100% Latino. I'm 100% American. I kind of speak both languages. I speak both faith languages, but I don't feel at home in any one particular place. Okay. Well, if that's Mm -hmm. really happening, and I believe that it is, if that's a real need, then what can I do from a creative apologetic standpoint to explain the faith, to educate, to catechize, to accompany in the context of that sense of orphancy? Now, I can't answer that for every apostolate or every, you know, thing in the vineyard, but, but, but if you're listening to this and you know the work that you do, you probably can answer that question. Well, if that's true, here's how I could do it in that particular case. And apply that creative apologetic. Creative apologetic is uh, a quote from uh, Evangelii Gaudium from Pope Francis's encyclical. And it just, it, 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 it basically is saying, Hey, look, we have to look for these innovative and inventive ways, given where we are in the world and the time that we're in to continue to, to con- transmit the gospel, um, in a way that is, that is creative and takes a, a look at the needs that exist, you know, um, w- with these folks. And so for me, it's, it's a question of looking at the sheep and saying, here's what they need and then being creative and innovative around how to serve them so that we can keep more of them here. Um, you, you know, my, my bishop is, uh, Archbishop Jose Gomez, who in a way is kind of the nation's bishop right now because he's the president of the USCCB. But, you know, my bishop looks at the Latino community in particular as the spiritual heirs of St. Juan Diego. And I confess, I, I agree. And I confess, as long as I've been doing this, I never had that thought. And when I heard him say it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so genius. Because it's true, right? Here's St. Juan Diego led the conversion of an entire continent. But we think about the Americas and we think Central and South. Well, wait a minute. What about North? And, you know, that's where we're really in need in, the, in North America, right? And especially not excluding Mexico, that U.S. and Canada. So, so why couldn't the Latino community here be that continuation? of the work that San Juan Diego began 500, 600 years ago. It's through, you know, this kind of creative apologetic that we could probably get there. Yeah. Um, because, uh, in your talk with, uh, your conversation with Jason Shanks, uh, you made mention about the fact that when most people fall away, it's usually because they're not living it out. So they're running into, you know, their, yeah. uh, premarital in- intimacy or they're cohabitating or, you know, and, and, but, 
I mean, that that's what they've seen, you know, they, they've seen, you know, um, those who are their parents, they never got married for whatever reason. Usually it's a lot of practical stuff, you know, um, and, uh, you know, but there's a, a, you know, there's this like, hey, this doesn't, you know, I, I, I know I shouldn't be and I'm not. I mean, I, I'm thinking of a young couple right now that, you know, it was beautiful to watch um, them this year because they made the decision we want to get right. And they, they, you know, but it was painful and it was hard. And, you know, there were times when they were getting discouraged and it's just like, no, you know, because you kind of went down, down, down the, you know, the, the path that, you know, God didn't design us yeah. for. There's a little bit of pain and suffering that, you know, in order to be able to, to bring it back. But what, what do you think might be ways that, that each of us, you know, so as individuals can, you know, can be um, helping or living the faith in such a way that, you know, people, you know, might necessarily be able to encounter that mercy more so than judgment, mm. I guess. Well, look, I mean, I think all of this, um, it, to my mind, begins at least by some of the principles that we've already discussed, which is, first of all, let's recognize that, you know, we're, we're Catholic. And so, and this is no offense at our Protestant brothers and sisters, but it's a lot easier as maybe an evangelical to say, hey, it's about me and Jesus. And right. We're Catholic. We're yes, it's me and Jesus. But it's also the people that we have at our sides. We believe in solidarity. We also believe in subsidiarity. Those are the teachings of the church. So part of it is recognizing who's around us. Right. Who can I reach out to my left and my right and touch and impact? Because that's the person or persons that God has us in front of at that particular moment. And it's not by accident. We're there for a purpose. So what can we all do to become first and foremost familiar with who those people are? And the more we do that and we discover them, then we can do a lot of these things that you're describing. And my point was saying, reaching out to the left or right and touching the people is that when we do, we're going to find not just these people, but increasingly this culture, this community. Mm-hmm. And we have to learn about it and make an effort to commute to, to connect and to experience so that we can better evangelize. And so we can better activate this group because to your earlier point, there's a huge opportunity here. There's a huge opportunity mm-hmm. that we can, you know, help set people ablaze and help them go out and be these, you know, St. Juan Diego's right now. They're not right right now. They're, they're being, you know, St. Bale, the church, <laughs> they're, they're just leaving. Right. And so, and so I think that, you know, the answer to your question, at least from a basic level to me is to just become more aware of the people individually. And then also as a culture and as a community that we have at our left and right, right in our backyard so that we can better evangelize, better teach, better catechize, better accompany. That's where it begins with a sense of kind of awareness of who's, who's next to us. Mm. Oh, amen. Um, and when you were speaking, it, it brought to mind, uh, you know, I had the, the privilege of being able to be a part of the, uh, the, the fifth and oh, yeah. And, uh, and so I, I still remember the experience, you know, so I was able, you know, diocesan and then regionally and then nationally. And, but I just remember there, there was, what was expressed was there was such a desire and a thirst for holistic formation, yes. you know, um, and to be accompanied and, you know, and it was something where the, what struck me at that time and it, and, it, and it comes back to me now is that, you know, in the wake of the second Vatican council, as people were wrestling with, what does this all mean? And lay people came, you know, and said, Hey, what, what are we supposed to do? They were sent to go get degrees, go get a theology degree, go, you know, go, you know, and, and come and do the things that, 
you know, we're doing it as priests and as deacons and, and as, uh, as religious. And what, you know, uh, and, and, and what we're seeing now is the fact of we didn't holistically form people to be able to go out into the world, which is what we're supposed mm. to do as lay people. And, and what I see right now is the biggest opportunity that we have is that literally the, the, this entire, you know, uh, generation is thirsty yes. for holistic formation that's going to empower them to be the one. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're saying, please sign me up. And, and the data, and, and the data shows that Christina, the data shows that, that they mm -hmm. are raising their hand, that they are saying, we looked at this in depth about, you know, time, treasure, talent. What is this community most willing to give? And it is that time and talent. It is, they are saying, mm -hmm. I want to be involved. I want to be nourished, fed, formed, accompanied in a way that is it, it, that is meaningfully higher than the average um, Catholic, despite the right. fact that economically they may not be at a position that other folks are at. So, you, so the data backs up exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and and we're seeing that in uh, this uh, our our parish. I was uh, sharing with you uh, before we we started recording. Um, you know, we're doing this three month process, and that's one of the biggest things that is raising up, which is this thirst and desire for, we want formation, we want to be accompanied, we want to be formed so that we can go and share the good news. Amen. I, I, I mean, and, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's something where uh, there is so much hope. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in order to uh, to get to the promised land, there, there's a there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of desert that has to get there crossed. There is. And <laughs> a lot of uncomfortableness. And some of it, and um, some of it, it is, um, you know, well-meaning desert, let's call it that. Um, I'll give you an example. You mentioned um, Fifth Encuentro, which I think is awesome. And then I, you know, the more research I've done about the Encuentro, because I was completely ignorant about the Encuentro until recently, but to, to think of that this all began back in the 70s, right? We've been doing this for almost 50 years, mm -hmm. really trying to accompany this Latino community that we're talking about in particular. But one of the downsides of having, um, you know, these very incredible, I'm not talking about Fifth Encuentro, but just to focus on Hispanic ministry. One of the downsides is if you're not Hispanic, you have this sort of tendency to say, right. oh, well, someone's got this, you know, That's, someone's got yep. this thing. And the reality of it is, again, just based on the raw numbers, like we all have to play a part in this, right? We're, irrespective of where we come from. And we have to recognize again that the sheep um, are, are just who the sheep are for our time and place. So, so I think it's, it's, um, it's important for us all to consider, you know, um, the, the this kind of as, as the broad implications of where we happen to be rather than a kind of very sort of specific thing, too. At the same time, that's the wrestling match, right? We want to specify it, but we, we, we don't want to make it too specific because then people think like, oh, well, someone else has this, right? The office of whatever it is or the Hispanic apostolate or it's not EWTN, it's Guadalupe Radio. They've got this. It's like, no, EWTN needs to care about it um, as well. I'll, I'll give you just one final example on this on this topic if it's yeah. not if it's not too uh, too long and boring. But the I I, I spoke with um, I won't name names obviously, but I spoke with a um, very prominent Catholic sort of you know uh, philanthropist you know person who's done very well and very connected and all that stuff. Very recently, I was meeting this person for the first time, 
And uh, we chatted about a bunch of things, but one of the one of them was this idea, this kind of Hispanic experience, right, in the U.S. And he said to me, he's like, well, you're a deacon. He goes, how many uh, Hispanic deacons are there in the country? And I happen to know this only because there was a study recently mm-hmm. released by CARA that took a look at the demographic makeup of deacons. Mm-hmm. The answer is roughly like 22% of deacons in the U.S. are Hispanic, right? And there's about 20,000 deacons in the country. The U.S. has the most deacons of any country in the right. world. So you can do the math, right? There's roughly whatever it is, 4,000 Latino deacons in the U.S. And this person was telling me, you got to connect with all 4,000 of those Latino deacons and you guys got to get together and figure this out and put whatever. And I said, you know what? That may be true, <laughs> but I want to I want to talk to the other 16,000 deacons, too, because because yeah. if we're only talking about this in these kind of little quadrants, it's tough to mm-hmm. kind of be the leaven in the in the dough, right? And that's what we're called to be. It's yeah. not just about the leaven go all hang out, right? All the yeast hang out. No, we're supposed to be leaven in something, right? So anyway, I just wanted to mention that because it was kind of a practical example that I'd recently come in contact with. No, it, it, it's very true. It, and it goes back to the unintended consequences of what you were talking about in your talk to begin with, which was the fact of that siloed parish and worship Correct. experiences where you've got these parallel communities that are going on and, you know, neither the twain shall meet except unless you bump into each other in the parking lot, you know, and, and it's the same way, um, you know, and I, and I say, you know, uh, this is kind of where our, our society is of where we compartmentalize of where we say, Oh, well, you're not Hispanic or, you know, what, whatever. Therefore you can't speak to this. You can't sit at the table. You can't help us come up with a solution. And there's a difference between, you know, coming up with the solution and saying this is it and putting it upon, you know, a group of people versus being at the table, working with them to bring your time and talent and treasure into the back. Amen. And, and, and that's something that, um, you know, I, I, I so desperately want people to understand is that this is church. Amen. This, this is the body of Christ, Amen. and we all have a vested interest. This is not a Latino problem. This is Correct. not an Anglo problem. This is not a you know a, a black mm-hmm. problem. This is I mean because you got you know here in the South we've got you know we have the you know the African American you know black you know church experience. Correct. So I mean you got got that going on, and it's like no, it's a church. That's experience. exactly right. <laughs> Amen to you for saying that. I, I make similar points around not losing your personal agency. When it comes to these things, because the 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 current wind of kind of cultural uh, the cultural push right now is, if it's if it's if you're not in that particular group or identity, which is you know don't get me started, we could have a whole other show. If you're if you're if you're not in that group, you have no right to actually come and speak to. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite, yeah. right? Now to your point. Are there ways to do that in a way that are going to be more constructive, productive, and efficient? Yeah, of course there are. Of course. You don't come in there and go, I figured this whole thing out. Let me tell you all about it. Well, of course not. You're not going to make very many disciples that way. But if you if you just leave it to, you know, the, the blacks will take care of the black issue, the Latinos will solve the Latino issue, the Anglos will solve the Anglo issue, that's just not Catholic. That's not Catholic. Yeah. And so and so we have mm-hmm. to we have to manage the situation and this opportunity always first and foremost as catholics as the church of god right and 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 operate that way to your to your very good point yeah uh there was a great uh quote uh i heard it uh within uh the uh, world of uh Mm -hmm. but uh it's a quote that's always stuck with me which is 
um, you know, unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials, charity above mm-hmm. all. That's right. Yeah. And, right. and and it's something of where I think it, it guides us for all of these challenges. But it also, I think what it does is that it gets us focused on the opportunity rather than all the negatives and, and the hopefulness that there is. So, um, but I can't believe that our, our time is already, already gone. It does. It does. But could you let everybody know where they can find you, mm-hmm. especially your two podcasts? Because we didn't have a chance to dive yeah. into that. And that is, you know, and the work you're doing there is just sure. awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. So you can find out pretty much everything about what I'm up to just by going to deacharlie.com. So deacharlie.com <laughs> will have pretty much links to everything. Um, I host two podcasts. One is what I you know, kind of call shorthand my Catholic podcast, which is called, they're both Catholic, but my Catholic podcast is Living the Call. Uh, and you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. So just search for Living the Call uh, with Deacon Charlie Echeverry. And that's a guest driven show where I invite, you know, leaders from all of all over the place. You know, they could be bishops, businessmen, artists, artisans, monks, marketers, you name it. Um, and we talk about, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, so that's that one. The other one is called TDR. That's, that's shorthand for the diversity remix. And that show is, um, myself and my business partner. Uh, we have conversations about complex issues from, you know, in business, culture, and um, and in um, politics, and we have conversations that are very nuanced from very different perspectives. So my business partner is a secular agnostic progressive, and I am not. Let's just say that. So we have we have great <laughs> conversations about a lot of different things, and I think we need more of that kind of nuanced discussion, um, just in general. So that's uh, that's called TDR, the diversity. It stands for the diversity remix. You can find that anywhere as well. But DeaconCharlie.com is the best place to go. Awesome. Thank you so of course. much. And, Thank you. you know, part, of, part of why, you know, I, I encourage people to check out, you know, the work that you're doing is because it is, you know, doing exactly what we've been talking about, which is looking at things as an opportunity, doing the work. It is a it is a challenge, but, you know, it's only in doing something hard that we truly can be transformed. Um, and uh, so it, it's something where the more that we are uh, a part of that and allowing ourselves to listen to others who are wrestling with it, the more that it can inform us and help us be better apostles and disciples Amen. as well. So, yeah, but uh, thank you everybody for, for joining us today on the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I hope that this has inspired you, encouraged you, and is helping you be able to continue to do whatever it takes. So together we can tell the master of death, not today. God bless. So what might be some resolutions that you can take from the conversation that I had with Deacon Charlie today? Well, we talked about several solutions that we could, you know, talk and that he talked about. And one of them really is about having all of yourself be truly reflective of the life that you say that you desire to live. And what do I mean by that? It means put first things first. It means going and practicing your spiritual habits, daily prayer and meditation, living the life of grace by frequenting the sacraments, growing in virtue each day and abandoning yourself to God's will. And in a particular way about expanding 
your awareness and perspective about who it is that are the poor, the marginalized, those who have fallen away. And think about what is one way that you can reach out to the fallen away today. Hey everyone, Christina Simmons from Say Yes to Holiness here. And I just wanted you to think about what is it that you are doing to take your next best step in order to become fully who God created you to be? Are you doing all it is that you can in order to become all of the unique and unrepeatable person that God created you to be? Are you walking in beauty and goodness and truth? Are you remaining firm in those commitments you've made to put God and family and friends first? Are you deepening your relationship with God, becoming more like Jesus? Are you solidifying, participating in a community of friends around who you can become the saint that God created you to be? Well, are you really, really yearning for this? If you are, don't put off until tomorrow what your heart is yearning for today. Because now's the time for you to embrace the life God created you for. Keep your eyes on him who loves you beyond measure and desires for you to be with him for all eternity. Today's the day to take an action. Today's the day for you to say yes. So say yes and book a consultation with me today. Go to sayyestoholiness.com forward slash L-E-L Camino. Again, that's www.sayyestoholiness.com forward slash L-E-L Camino. Thanks again for spending time with me today. If you have any suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please leave me a voicemail using the link in the podcast show notes or message me through the Say Yes to Holiness Facebook page at Say Yes to Holiness through my website at www.sayyestoholiness.com or send an email directly to me at christinasimmons at gmail.com. I look forward to the opportunity to continue the conversation we have begun here. In the interim, please know my continued prayers for you and your loved ones, especially that each of us may continue to strive to do whatever it takes in order to grow in holiness as we continue to tell the master of death, not today. I look forward to having a conversation again with you soon.